Let's uh, turn in our Bibles, shall we, to Psalm 119. So while you're doing that, just to mention that, I've put some things out on the, um, in the lounge there on a table, just a couple of reflections on the general election. One by Andrea Mincelli, who's um, the founder of um, Concern, uh, Christian Concern, and another by Stephen Green, who speaks on behalf of Christian Voice. Both very, very perceptive, helpful comments and reflections as a Christian about the general election and giving things to think about and pray about, so that they're on the, on the table there in the back if you're interested in that. So, I want to uh, read Psalm 119, not at all, by the way, just the first 11 verses. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his command testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity, they walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes, or do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto. Sorry, by taking heed according to your word. But with my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I know James has just prayed, but uh, let me just pray as well, just perhaps for my sake, let's pray. Lord, God, we thank you for your word. <clears throat> and I pray for your help as I uh, bring the thoughts that you've laid on my heart from this passage. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts and help us to apply those things to our lives in a way that le would lead to godliness. And uh, even for some, maybe for salvation. But Lord, that you would... Direct and guide, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> this, with this um, Sunday being a lot being away at uh, the ladies' conference and uh, realizing that we would be um, slightly, there'd be a, a lesser number here, and I, I felt I should not carry on with the Ephesian series just now, but do a one off message. And what we're going to be looking at has been influenced in my mind by the fact that I knew that the number of men, the proportion of men, would be increased. Not all men, obviously, we're not all men here this morning, but uh, I knew that the number of men would be increased. So the message I've got this morning applies especially to men, but it actually we'll find it applies to everybody, because the principles we're looking at go into everyone's uh, situation, will apply to everyone's situation. The text is verse 9 of Psalm 119. How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? The title of a message, if you want a title, is How to Remain Pure in a Sex-Mad Society. How to Remain Pure in a Sex-Mad Society. 
And as I say, the things that we're going to look at will apply not just to the area of, of uh, sex and sexual activity, but actually to every part of life. And it'll apply to everyone, not just men, but to women, not to young, but also to old. How to remain pure in a sex-mad society. How can a young man keep his heart pure? It's not just for the young. King David became king around about 30 years old. And then he committed adultery, had an affair when he was 50 with Bathsheba. He was an older man. In today's age, maybe, maybe probably equivalent of 60s. John MacArthur tells, uh, the preacher, American preacher, tells about a man he visited in hospital who was 78 years old, whom he'd known for a number of years, and this man was dying of heart failure. And uh, when John uh, MacArthur went to visit him, this man, uh, partway through, was crying and weeping. And uh, concerned for his condition, his spiritual condition, Dr. MacArthur asked him, are you ready to go to heaven? And the man said, well, my trust is in Jesus Christ, but then he said, but I never, I've just never got victory over pornography. And he was 78 years old. And he hadn't been brought up in today's generation, you know, of all access to internet and all of that stuff. And yet that habit had got into his life and he hadn't been able to shake it off. And he was 78 years old. He was about to die and go into the presence of God with that in his life. Ian Henderson, the founder and CEO of a Christian charity that helps particularly men, but all men and women, who struggle with pornography. It's called the Naked Truth Project. That's the Christian art charity. He tells how he was preaching one time when someone left a message on his phone for him, when, we, when he heard it later, listened to it later, he heard that his father had been arrested and charged with possession of indecent images of children. And the court case lasted a year, but within months of the charge, he learned that it, this, his father had terminal cancer, at the end of the court case, he was given a suspended sentence and then he went straight into a hospice and he died within a few weeks. The battle for purity is, is not just for the young, not just for young people. But it is a battle. It is a battle. We're living in a sex-dominated society. In the evening services, we're going through the book of Judges and we're seeing a fascinating insight into what happens when men and women turn their backs on God and how God deals with that. And Judges is summed up with this verse which says, in those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, they, you, you turn your back on God and you just do what you want. You live as you please. Now if that's true in that day, how much more true is it today? You know, moral restraints are being removed. Boundaries are being deliberately dismantled or pushed beyond anything we've known before. We've been bombarded with messages and visions and images and information, uh, special sexual images like never before. You know, an older generation, even sex was a bit of a taboo subject. You, you wouldn't talk about it. 
as much. A few years ago, a young girl was asked by a teacher to write, to write about her family life. And so she went home and asked her mum about how she'd come into the world. And her mum said, well, a stork brought her as a baby and left her under a bush. And how did you come into the world, mum? Well, I came the same way, her mum said. So she went to her grandma and asked the same question. She got the same answer. So she went back to school and she wrote, there hasn't been a normal birth in our family for the last three generations. <laughs> One dad plucked up the courage at last to talk to his son about sex and uh, never talked about it before and terribly embarrassed. He said, son, I think it's time that you and I had a talk about the facts of life. And his son said, sure, dad, what do you want to know? <laughs> Lyndon Baring, he, he's the founder and um, CEO of CARE, Christian National Charity. He tells when he'd just been appointed as chairman or executive chairman of CARE, at a time when CARE were battling to prevent hundreds of sex shops from opening all over the UK. And his grandma, who regularly prayed for him, she knew that he was chairman of something or other, but not sure what. And she was asked by a neighbour, and I think they were in the doctor's surgery at the time, waiting room. She said, her neighbour said, how's your grandson Lyndon doing in London? And his grandma proudly replied, oh, he's doing wonderful. He's chairman of all the pornography in London. <laughs> which, which apparently delighted the neighbour who said, well, that's lovely. But, the, you know, grandmothers and that generation, they, they haven't had the same exposure to all these things that you fear for the young generation children grandchildren what they're facing just you know you look on any just going to a supermarket just ordinary news agents and, and, and look on the on the magazine racks you know the vision the the the, the, the pictures there and the content and, and often aimed at teenagers many adverts sell through sex you know, we're living in a day when you can sell anything from cars to yoghurt just through sexual attraction or sex. Turn on the television. Films, dramas, and com especially comedy. Comedy is terrible in this day. And, and you know, the, the dealing, and you see, and, and it's before the nine o'clock water, so-called nine o'clock watershed, in so many ways... You know, things that would have been in years gone by classified as an X certificate. You know, today's 18 classification. It's become part of normal dramas, hasn't it? You know, one kiss and they're into bed. That's, that's, that's the norm. That's just normal in, in today's world. And then, of course, there's the music industry. And music videos and dance videos. All of those things. And sexually explicit lyrics that's the norm, readily available on television at any time. can't remember the figure, it's something like the average, I think it was 56%, something like that, of 11-year-olds have television in their bedroom. So that's, that's accessible to our under-11s. And then there's the internet, smartphone, tablets. That means that pornography or anything of that nature, is easily accessible, it's affordable, and it's anonymous. Just, you're just one click away. 
And if you're, if you're on the internet, I mean, how do you stop these pictures coming up? You just, it's impossible. I, I don't know how to do it. 70% of all website hits worldwide are to pornographic sites. 70%. In the UK, 40% of all internet sites visited by people are to pornographic sites. It's a massive industry. One free pornographic site every month, every month receives 4.4 billion hits. That's 4.4 thousand million hits in a month. That places it above Amazon and it places it above Apple, a pornographic site. According to a survey of lawyers in the US, in 56% cases of divorce, obsessive porn use was cited as a factor. One survey revealed that 56% of men said that their taste in pornography had become increasingly extreme and deviant. That's 56% of the, those surveyed, which often created problems in a relationship. The average age of first exposure to hard pornography is 11 years old. And one survey found that three in five youth pastors struggle with porn. This, this, is, this is epidemic in the church and outside. So it's really an important question, isn't it? How can anyone stay on the path of purity and keep their heart pure? That's what the Bible calls us to do, to keep our hearts pure. Now, let's, let's be clear. Sex is a gift from God, created by God, <coughs> given by God. It's a beautiful thing when used as God intended within marriage. <coughs> God has set sex within the boundary of marriage. He's designed sex. He's the creator. It's a wonderful gift, expression of love between a husband and wife. You know, and the New Testament teaching from Jesus through to Paul and, and, and Peter, etc., is that the only place for sexual activity is heterosexual marriage. It's clear. The Bible's so clear. So keeping yourself pure, sexually pure, until you get married is an expression of real love for the one you're marrying, if God's will is for you to get married. And within marriage, both husband and wife are called to be faithful to their spouse. So God is serious about sexual purity. Turn with me. I'm going to look at some scriptures. If you want to turn to them, 1 Corinthians 6.18. I'll turn to them quickly, if you like, and read them. I have a few scriptures. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Paul tells all believers, flee sexual immorality. Flee. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. The word for the Greek word for immorality is the word pornea, of course, from which we get pornography. It refers to all sexual sin. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. 
For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Same word, sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. The word vessel there refers to the body. In other words, to control your own body. You've got to control your body, and that's mind and everything as well, not just the physical side. How, know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honour. But of course, God isn't just concerned for the outward act. He's concerned about your thinking life, your thought life, my thought life. Jesus said this, didn't he? You don't need to turn to this but I don't know if you've got it to put this up, Matthew 5, 27, 28. Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, so lust is in the mind and the imagination. That, that, that is sinful in God's eyes. You know, the holiness, of the, God, the holiness that God wants transcends the external. He wants holiness in our thought life. You know, that's where King David failed, wasn't it? King David, he saw a woman bathing on the rooftop, Bathsheba. And of course, that triggered off the thoughts. And the thoughts led to action and to deceit. And then, ultimately, to adultery and pregnancy and then in David's case, to murder. So no wonder David writes this question. How can a young man cleanse his way? How can a, man, a young man keep his heart pure? And if, if David wrote that then, how much more today? How? And it's impossible for us. But it's not for God. According to work God's word, it is a resounding yes, it can be possible. Because David goes on to say, in verse 9, Psalm 119, verse 9, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. The NIV has by living according to your word. And then verse 11, Your word I have hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. So the solution is in God's word. What does God's word say? This is so important. It tells us that the battle for sexual purity, in fact, for all purity, is fought where? In the heart. It's in the heart. That's the battleground. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. When the Bible speaks of heart, the heart refers to, it's, it's, it's the real you, it's your mind as well, it's your thoughts, it's your emotions and feelings. It's the, the whole of you, the real you. So when we speak of the heart, we're talking about the mind and the th thought life and every part of that. So your heart and mind is the first and foremost battleground for in conquering lust, the old-fashioned word lust, and impurity, sexual sin. Now, sadly, many, many Christians become frustrated in their struggle in this area. 
of sexual purity. I wonder has that been your experience? If that's so, part of the reason that you've not overcome sexual sin as quickly as you longed for maybe because of misunderstanding about the true location of the battle. You know, the physical act of sexual sin, the outworking, is the inworking, sorry, the outworking of sexual sin is simply the inworking, what's gone in, be in before, in the mind, in the heart. So the focus of our struggle must be internal, first and foremost. You know, the, the, the writer to the Proverbs got it right. He said, above all else, guard your heart. Why? For everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. That's Proverbs 4, 23. And we all know, I'm sure, or are familiar with the words of Jesus. From out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, and so on. The real battle that's in the heart. One of the Puritan writers said this. Sin does not exist separate from us, but mingles itself in all our thoughts, motives, desires, and actions. It tangles itself in everything we think, everything we feel, and everything we do. That's why you need to be on your guard. That's why we so easily are entangled. Just turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Very familiar scripture. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Says, therefore, since we also, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily what ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Sin ensnares us. The, 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 the original word means to encircle and to capture. So the NIV, I think, is, doesn't it have entangle? It so easily entangles us. So what it's saying is this. Our sinful nature still has that deep propensity to latch onto sin and to enjoy sin. See, Scripture says that it easily entangles us. It easily the fall of man and through Adam and Eve, that's affected us at the deepest level of our mind and emotions and our feelings and, and, and every part of us. That's why sin encircles us and snares us and easily entraps us. You know, even the Apostle Paul struggled with this. You think he's a great saint, you know, great Christian. He struggled with this whole thing, Romans 7, verse 15, the, the, the whole of chapter Romans 7, I, I believe he's speaking of the Christian struggle, and Romans 7, verse 15, says this, for what I am doing, I do not understand, for what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. I, I, I long to do things and I don't end up doing things and I hate doing some things but I end up doing things and there's all that this inner struggle even the Apostle Paul in verse 22 
23, he says, For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And, and that caused him to cry out, Oh, wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from the body of death? And praise God, he didn't end there. He says, I thank God. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But he, he experienced this great struggle with sin that so gets him and, and, he, and, he's, and he, it causes him to do things that he doesn't want to do. So always remember this, you're not on your own. You're not on your own with this struggle of sin. Paul says this, and in no temptation has taken you but such as is common to man. Especially in this area of sexual sin. If you're struggling, don't just think it's one thing, it's just you. You're not. There's many, many who face this. The old Cornish miner, Billy Bray, used to say, um, the old devil knows where I live. In other words, he, he knew this battle. He knew these battles. The battle's not far away from me either, I tell you that. I speak very carefully on this um, without any condemnation. I know the power of this. I have to be on my guard all the time, I tell you. And I can look back and I look back at times of failure and times when I've had to seek God's forgiveness in this. Let's look at what James says. James 1 verse 14. James 1 and verse 14. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Drawn away. Temptation takes place on the inside. You know, it's like, it's like it, it puts a hook in your nose and it drags you down with it. But it, it takes place on the inside. A, a mother had been teaching a five-year-old daughter to say the Lord's Prayer. And a daughter had been repeating it line after line, night after night. Finally, she decided to say it all in one go. And her mum listened with pride as she carefully went through word for word until she got nearly to the end when she said, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from email. And I know what she meant. <laughs> okay, I can't deliver us from evil. You know, it's very popular, isn't it, in this world today, when things go wrong, to blame somebody else. Politicians are great at that, but we're all like that. Blame circumstances. The Bible does not let you do that. Temptation, sin, is my responsibility. It takes place in there. Starts there. And then that leads, then that leads, the thought, the thinking, the imagination, the fantasy, whatever it is, leads to sin. That's what James says. Verse 15, he goes on to say, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Temptation itself isn't sin. Jesus was tempted. You know, that thought, the first thought, that's not sin. That first look, that isn't sin, is it? it but then the second look, the third look, the fourth look, the thought. So the conception then gives, leads to birth, the birth of sin. 
And sin brings death, it says. It's deadly. It wars against the soul, Peter says. It's deadly. Now, this isn't just in the area, arena of lust. This might be in the area of anger. You might be me, thinking you're sat on your bed and you've, you've been hard done to somebody who said something and you mull it over and you think, that's not fair and you get angry about it. Or how can you, what you, what you'd like to do to that person? might be about greed or covetousness. You know, you're, you're imagining, you're wondering about, just dreaming about what it'd be like to have lots of money or to win the lottery or something and how to use that. And it's in the mind. It's, and it takes root. Or it might be anything. It could be jealousy or envy. or It could be just, you know, elevating yourself in, in people's eyes and, 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 and uh, full of pride and that sort of thing. Imagining power and all sorts of things can go on in our minds. I tell you, you do not know. No one knows what's going on in my mind. No one. And I don't know what's going in your mind. And it's got the power, our thoughts have the power to lead us into all sorts of things that are dangerous, spiritually dangerous. Sin is all about the imagination and fantasies and looking and lusting. It's not just the practice, the outward working. So friends, if you're going to win the battle for purity or any other sin, it's got to be one in here. It's got to be one in here. That's where the war for purity is won or lost. That's the battleground. Whether it's sexual temptation, pride, covetousness, or jealousy, or bitterness, or unforgiveness, all of those things, that's, that's the root. It's in there. Let me, let me uh, bring, to, sort of to bring this more practical. Let me give you, I don't want to trivialize this, but let me give some practical steps, simple practical steps. How, how, how to keep ourselves pure. First of all, confess and forsake any sin that you are aware of, especially hidden sin, secret sin. And confess it to God alone, primarily. David committed adultery. He sinned desperately against God. And eventually God broke him. Sin finds us out, you know. And eventually sin broke him and God broke him and he said to God, against you, you only have I sinned. So he confessed it to God. Sometimes it helps, I think, when confessing to God, say things out loud, you know. Tell God. Let God hear it, but hear it yourself. Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, and he will abundantly pardon. And by the way, confess, confessing sin isn't just about saying sorry. It's about forsaking that sin. It's saying to God, by your, with your help, God, I will not sin again. I do not want to sin again. You know, if your thought life harbours anything, anger, sin of vengeance, sin of pride, anything, covetousness, confess that to God. Repent. Ask for his forgiveness. 
And, I, and, and, if, you, and if you're in this trap of, of sexual sin and it's got hold of you, be, take courage, take encouragement. God wants to forgive you. God wants to forgive you and cleanse you. He's gracious. Secondly, if this particular thing has been a, an ongoing problem and you haven't been getting the victory and it's been a block to your spiritual life, I would suggest and I would strongly suggest that you confide that with somebody else. That you actually talk to somebody you can trust with, trust in, who would help you in that. Something I did when I was a young man, as a young person, I confided in somebody and I asked for help and prayer and that was a real help to me. You know, accountability is really, really strong. Very strong, strengthening. If you feel that you're struggling, ask someone to pray. There's no shame in that. Someone you know you can trust. There's no shame. You know, we are to carry one another's burdens. Thirdly, don't expose yourself to temptation knowingly. Don't put yourself in those situations. You know, it's like the little lad who uh, the farmer found sat under the, apple his, his, the farmer's apple tree. And the farmer said to him, what are you doing? Are you trying to steal some apples? No, said the lad, I'm trying not to. Sat under the apple tree. Don't place yourself in situations where you're just going to be tempted. You know, here's an example of a sequence of thought, someone go, undergoing temptation. The, th the person is thinking, I'll just take a drive, but I won't go near that supermarket. And the next thought is, well, I'll drive past the supermarket, but I won't go in. And then the next thing is, well, I might just go into the supermarket, but I definitely won't go past the biscuit section. And then, well, there's no harm in looking at the biscuit section, but I won't touch. Well, I might touch, but I won't buy. Well, I'll buy, but I won't open it. Well, I'll open it, but I won't eat it. Well, they were very nice, weren't they? You know? Placing yourself in temptations where, well, Paul said this, flee sexual immorality. Run from it. Plan not to see it. Plan away. Don't, don't, don't put yourself into that place. Guard what you watch on television. And when you watch it, guard what you read. I love what Job said. You know, Job, that man who suffered so much. This is what he said. He said, I have made, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look on a young woman? He'd made a covenant. He said, I, I, I made a covenant. I'm, I'm promising. I'm going to stay. I will not stray. So, you know, you're walking down the road and something, you, you, attractive person, attractive woman. And you said, no, I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes. Be careful what you log on to on the website, on the internet. Always be careful. What about pictures in the workplace that you have power to take down? What about that relationship that you know is not honouring to God in that area of sexual purity? Maybe that needs ending. You know, it's far better to have a close relationship with God than have a wrong relationship with someone else and a distant relationship with God. Far better to know God. Fourthly, 
Feed your mind with God's word. That's God's way. Feed your mind. David said, I have your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And it is, it is true. You fill your mind with the truths of God's word. That does have, a, it's like an inner resistance. There's, there's a power there to stop you moving. And, and it's like a breaker or a, a sin. It's a check within. And God's word does control our thinking. It does strengthen our heart against evil, sinful thought. You know, Paul said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12. And then a very practical thing. Whenever that first thought comes into your mind, take it captive. Immediately that intrusive thought comes, raise that shield of faith. Remember what James said, when desire has conceived, then it gives birth to sin. There's a process in our minds. And, and the thing is, you've got to, gut, you've got to watch when it, at the conception, not wait until the birth, not down the line. Take that first thought captive and say, no, I will not think of, I will not watch, I will not, I will keep myself pure. We've got to resist, we've got to oppose with God's grace. Finally, Remember, there is all the power and strength that you need to remain pure in Christ. You know, you're in Christ. If you're, a, if you're truly born again of the Spirit of God, you are in Christ and you share, and I share in his death, the old man has died, and I share in his new resurrection life. And the Holy Spirit lives in us. And that power is there to give us the purity that we need. If you are genuinely saved, you've been given the responsibility and the power to stop sinning and to please God. And you're able to do that because you're joined with Christ. So those are the steps. Simple steps. Understand that it's a heart problem first and foremost. It's in the heart. Secondly, be specific. Confess, forsake any sin to God. Third, don't be ashamed to confide in a trusted person. Ask for prayer. Have accountability. Four, don't knowingly expose yourself to temptation. Feed your mind with the word of God. Take that thought captive. Immediately temptation comes. And believe that there is victory over sin.